This is the book that we are kind of basing this series on, Live No Lies. It is a wonderful book. Um, I think we're out, but Amazon has plenty. And the way the book is structured is around the three enemies that destroy our peace. So in the New Testament, it's the flesh, the devil, and what else? The world. So in this book, it goes kind of backwards to the order in the Bible. It goes with the order, the devil, and then the flesh and the world. So we're beginning to talk about the devil. I want to introduce you today to the most curiously absent verse in the Bible. So I should have given that thought to you so you could get it going around in your head. The, the most curiously absent verse in the Bible, right? So I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to try to add it, but I'm going to point out, here's the context in which the verse is missing that I would have expected to be there. We read, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. What's missing? See, what I thought we would read there was that Jesus said to him, the kingdoms of this world don't belong to you. But he didn't, right? He responded with scripture, which is wise and instructive for us. But why did Jesus not say that the kingdoms were not Satan's to give? Because they were. So that's the, oh my goodness, moment for us, I think to realize that Satan owns the kingdoms of this world. So you, you may want to push back, and we'll probably qualify it carefully, but isn't that just an awful realization that the kingdoms of this world are owned by Satan? They're his to give. There is a mastermind behind everything. There is a Satan, there is a devil, there is someone that hates you beyond hate. There is someone who wants to burn and destroy and kill. And there's someone that when he sees life, he wants it to end. He wants to kill life. Because he is the personification of pure evil and hatred. He is the father of lies. So the thesis of this book is that the lies that Satan tells us are sown into the world and the flesh. And if we live by the values of the world and the flesh, we will be living lies, which is a tragedy. And we're told what the antidote is in this book and also clearly through the words of scripture. The kingdoms of this world belong to Satan, or at least they did when he was confronting Jesus. If you go back and look at the whole context, we read actually that the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted, to be tested. And this is one of the points of that temptation. And this is Jesus' answer to him. So we're going to talk about Satan. And we're going to talk fairly clearly and simply about five myths about the devil, five myths about Satan. And here they are. 
One myth about the devil is he doesn't really exist. We're beyond that, right? I mean, he's okay for jokes. He's okay for TV shows like Lucifer on Netflix. Or he's okay for joking around, but he's not real. Modern people do not believe that the devil is real. Come on. Practically speaking, we might say, and actually Christians sort of doubt his existence. Not, not the way he was portrayed in Sunday school, not the way that you know, we thought of him, not, not the, you know, the, the pointed, ugly tail. The, the devil doesn't really exist. That's the first myth, is to say he doesn't really exist. I don't know how many of you remember Keith Green. I'm going to tell your age. Show me your hands if you remember Keith Green. Do you remember his lovely song? No, it's not a lovely song. It's a terrible song. But it's a song, it's the devil's boast. Oh, my job keeps getting easier as time, as time keeps slipping away. I can imitate your brightest light and make your night look just like day. I put some truth in every lie to tickle itching ears. You know, I'm drawing people just like flies because they like what they hear. I'm gaining power by the hour. They're falling by the score. You know, it's getting very simple now because no one believes in me anymore. Oh, heaven's just a state of mind. My book's read on your shelf. And have you heard that God is dead? I made that one up myself. They, they dabble in magic spells. They get their fortunes read. You, you know, they heard the truth, but turned away and followed me instead. I used to have to sneak around, but now they just opened their doors. You know, no one's watching for my tricks because no one believes in me anymore. Everyone likes a winner. With my help, you're guaranteed to win. Hey, man, you ain't no sinner. You can tell this from way back, right? You've got the truth within. As your life slips by, you believe the lie that you did it on your own. But don't worry. I'll be there to help you share our dark eternal home. Well, my job keeps getting easier as day slips into day. The magazines, the newspapers print every word I say. The world is like my spinning top. It's all like child's play. You know, I dream that it'll never stop, but I know it's not that way. Still, my work goes on and on, always stronger than before. I'm going to make it dark before the dawn, since no one believes in me anymore. Most of the people around us on the street do not believe there is a personal devil. They are unaware that there is someone behind all of the evil, all of the problems, all of the disasters of our world. That there is something that makes sense about this when we understand that there is a personal Satan who hates you, who hates God. We're going to come to a happy ending that says, and he is convicted for judgment. But in the meantime, there is a devil. He's not just an idea. We, uh, John Mark Comer talks about a sort of a theory, the Flynn theory that, that an Australian or New Zealand guy developed, that we are smarter than we used to be, that we know more than people used to know. And so we know there's no devil. We, it was pretty simple and primitive to believe in the devil. And he points out in this study that we're not smarter. We may know more things, but we're not smarter than ancient people. We're not wiser than ancient people. We may know about more things, but we do not know fully or have the wisdom that we could grow into 
people before us by thousands of years were every bit as smart as we are, maybe smarter, and they believed in a personal devil. So it's a lie that the devil doesn't exist. And if he does exist, we need to get out our pencils and sharpen them and write down what it is we know about him and what we're supposed to do. Are you happy you came this morning? Everybody's looking at me with this like, hmm. Okay, so another, another myth is that the devil is God's equal and opposite. Did you ever find yourself kind of drifting into that way of thinking, that everything that is God, well, the opposite is Satan. So God is good, Satan is bad. When we go through that kind of an exercise, we need to scratch our heads and say, wait a minute. Is the devil the equal and opposite of God? So, for example, God is everywhere. Is the devil? He's not. The devil is a created being. He is in one location at one time. Now, he has minions that work for him. But the devil is not God's opposite. Now, there's not a kind of a, an arm wrestle on the table between God and Satan where we hope that God wins, but we're not sure that Satan won't win. That's not the way it is at all. Satan is a created being. He is a glorious being. He was the most glorious being. He is a very powerful being, but he's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. He is not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He certainly is not omnipresent. He's not everywhere, and yet those things are true of God. So, Let's rid ourselves of the idea that Satan is quite a big, formidable foe because he's God's opposite. He's equal to God and God's opposite. That's a myth that we need to dispel. The third thing is that the devil is in the details. So what do we mean by that expression? I don't mean what the expression actually means. We get the idea that the devil is everywhere doing all kinds of things, that Wherever there is wrong or evil or bad things, well, the devil must be right there. The devil is not everywhere by any means. He is a finite creature. He has scores, hundreds, millions of demons who are at his beck and call, and they do his work. But the devil is not all-powerful. Demons are not all-powerful. The devil is not everywhere. Demons are not everywhere. But there is a spiritual world around us. The king of that world is Satan. And he is as though he were a dying animal, a wounded animal or a dying dragon. He is furious so that he is determined even though he is doomed, he's determined to, to wreak havoc um, to the nth degree wherever he can. He's going to make sure that he takes down as many people with him as he can. That's his work. That's his agenda. But the devil is not in the details. He is not in control of every little thing. Uh, his demons, his minions, do his beck and call. And I'm sure they have all kinds of, of planning meetings where they have schemes and they have tricks, they have ways, and he mobilizes them and they go to work. Demons also do exist. They are not figments of our imagination. 
they are not part of some old way of thinking. They also exist. I've encountered demons, and probably you have. I've been in settings where demons have been cast out of people. I've been in settings where grown men have been thrown across the room by other men who are possessed and who have supernatural strength, it would appear. But as C.S. Lewis observes, there are two mistakes we make about devils and demons. The one is we don't believe they exist. The other is that we fixate too much on them. So if you come across someone who is, you know, maybe the leader of a deliverance ministry and his or her whole job is to find demons and cast them out, you, you should probably just, you know, give that person wide berth. That's not the kind of person you want to hang out with. Martin Luther said that the only thing the devil deserves is a quick glance. And that's true. It is to acknowledge that he exists and that demons exist, to know that there is a way we can relate to them or not relate to them, and that the rest of our lives are not in the domain of thinking about demons and devils and, and all of that. But let's not make either mistake. Let's not deny he exists. Let's not get fixated on his existence. The next mistake that we need to correct is the whole notion that the devil made me do it. I don't know, Flip Wilson, I'm going way back in time now, right? Those, this comedian, Flip Wilson, he said the devil made him do it, right? The devil didn't make you do it. So, sorry, guys, you can't tell your wife. I'm sorry, the, the devil made me do it. He didn't. He might have. He could have. But you're giving the devil too much credit, right? The devil is in one place running his empire, but you have the flesh to contend with. The devil doesn't need to tempt you to sin. Your flesh, as it is tuned up by the world, will incline you to sin, not because the devil has come into you to make you sin. The devil does enter people at times. So remember the story of, of the, um, the trickery around the, the arrest of Jesus, and at one point we're told that Satan entered Judas. He entered him to take control of him. I dare say the devil entered Putin. I don't know, but I dare say that the devil entered Putin. Ukraine is a country of God-fearing people. Um, it is a country that has a right to exist, and yet something came into the heart of Putin. We, we know what's in his ideology, but it's possible that the devil entered into someone so that millions of people could be killed with no concern. The devil is evil, dark, a liar, a murderer. Um, Jesus says he was from the very beginning. He was a liar and a murderer. But the devil isn't the one who made you do it, sorry. Um, you decided to do it. You decided to do it because you thought of it, you were tempted by it, and you did it. That was your flesh. The fact is that you've believed lies, we have believed lies, and we have succumbed to those lies in some ways that are not at all impressive when it comes to our morality and our ethics. We do things because the flesh is fallen, and Satan is delighted when you do, but he didn't make you do it. So, sorry, we can't blame him any longer. The last thing is that we may have a myth then 
that says that the devil cannot be stopped in his tracks. I mean, how are we ever going to mount a defense against the devil or an offense against the devil? Surely he can't be stopped. What does he want to do? Maybe he's going to be able to do what he wants to do. Well, that brings me to just a few verses that should kind of um, set our minds at ease and quicken our hearts and our hope and our faith. In Ephesians, we read this. Submit, therefore, to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. That is something to take to the bank, right? The devil is this person that we're describing. He's not the caricature that most of us have or grew up with or has been presented to us, but there's a a biblical description of this being, the devil, and we know now that he is a formidable enemy. He hates us. There, there's no like in him for us. There's no love in him for us at all, ever. He never is decent. He won't, um, you know, he won't finally say, okay, let, I'll be fair. Let's play fair in this. He will never play fair. He will always kick you when you're down. If someone is struggling with some kind of illness, the devil does not instruct, you know, the forces that be, that nobody should touch this dear person. You know, she's suffering enough. No, the devil says, oh, suffering? Good, I love that. Let's do more of it. That's his MO. That's, that's how he works. But the Bible tells us that if we submit to God, and that's a very powerful dynamic right there, um, and it, the second part of this really only works with the first part. Submitting to God is not a resistant willingness, but it's, it's conforming to the thing that we were actually created for and deciding to limit ourselves in terms of the flesh and the world, to limit ourselves to things that are right and good and godly. And as we do those things and resist the devil, we're told he will flee from us. Now, why would he flee? From whom would an aggressor flee? Someone that intimidates that person, someone that scares that person. And we don't want to be flippant about the devil, but we do understand that with Christ in us, with the Spirit of God living in us, when we resist the devil, he flees. He cannot be in the same space as the Spirit of God and the new heart and and new spirit that we are living uh, as followers of Jesus. So if you're afraid of the devil, good, we should be. But if we resist him, he'll turn tail and run. Another verse that's very powerful is what Paul instructs us to do. He says, put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. I mean, how, how clear could that be, right? Paul says there are ways to get yourself prepared that when the devil's schemes um, are brought against you, he will fail. But Paul says this, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. What's going on in our world? This is what's going on in our world. 
there are realms and there are levels of beings that are spiritual and they are all around us. And we are not to fight one another. It's not flesh that we're fighting. It is all of these beings, these high-ranking spiritual beings, and all of those that are following them, that are packed with them, all of those are operating in this world. I don't know. I often, in talking with people who, who don't claim to be people of faith, I will just say, how do you explain all the stuff that's bad in our world? I mean, is it just a matter of, you know, in the evolutionary design, we have not yet reached, you know, the pinnacle where we're the kinds of beings we would like to be and would sometimes even claim to be? Or is there something wrong? Like, why does the world never seem to get better? Why is it when one crisis is over that then there's another one? Uh, when one awful thing happens, then the next week there's another awful thing that happens. Why? Why are there school shootings? Why are there mass killings? Why are all those things happening in our world? Is it just that we're that bad? Or is there something energizing everything that's wrong, everything that won't work? And Paul says, yeah. Like, let me be clear. There are all of these kinds of beings, and we're not fighting one another as though that were the, the, the battlefield. We're fighting a spiritual battle against all of these kinds of beings that are ahead of us. But one of the most lovely verses in the Bible is Colossians 2.15. And it basically gives us the good news at the end of kind of a hmm, sobering thought, right? When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him. Who and how? He's talking about the death of Jesus on the cross, that Jesus entered death, our brokenness, and as he did, while Satan thought he had won the final victory, he was actually thoroughly defeated in that moment. In fact, what Paul says is that God made a public spectacle of all of these beings by the death of Christ. It's an amazing concept that in the, in the very height of his success was Satan's doom, was his downfall. So what we understand is that what began with the death of Christ is continuing, and finally there will be the vanquishing of Satan and his minions forever and ever and ever, he will have no way um, to try to frustrate the work and the plan of God. And it's as though God said to Satan, watch this. You think you just scored the final decisive point. No, I did. I did. That needs to be the dynamic of our lives as well, that we, that we soberly grasp the existence of Satan and that we understand what his mandate is self-appointed, self-determined mandate. But then that we understand that we can watch what he's doing, and by the power of Christ and the Spirit in us, we can thwart what he's doing. And with the armor of God and our resistance, we can cause the devil to flee. 
We're never careless about the devil. We're never careless about demons. I've seen people be careless about demons to their own peril. But we understand how it is that we are to be armed against them. And there is this fight that Andrew began thinking with us about last Sunday. Um, This fight is on, but it's not between us. It's between us and spiritual forces all around. And this is a worldview that will give us the resources that we need to be followers of Jesus and to be actually people who are non-anxious, even though we see what Satan and his minions are doing all around us.